My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of this program will know, part of our mission here at the Leaders Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And today, that mission takes us to Leighton Buzzard, Bedfordshire, where we're joined by Andrea Wilson, Director at Hone All Precision Limited. Um, Andrea, very warm welcome to yourself this morning. And by all means, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me on, Scott. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's an immense pleasure having you with us, Andrea. Now, uh, your business, uh, which you founded yourself back in the uh, the 1990s, you specialise in sort of deep hole boring, deep drilling, uh, CNC turning and CNC honing, so very much on that side of things. Um, when did you realise, um, would you say, that sort of going into business for yourself and leading your own firm like this was going to be the, uh, the way forward for you, would you say? I think um, I started working when I was 12, <laughs> part-time, helping people out and doing various jobs for family members and then getting part-time jobs. And I think throughout the sort of following five to seven years, you start looking at what works very well for businesses, what doesn't, management styles that work really well for people and motivate people and retain staff. And when I left college with my A-levels, I couldn't go to university due to family circumstances. So I started looking for positions where I would be able to sort of work more on my own motivation rather than trying to always sort of tick a box and, and, and go into what would be classed as a standard job. It used to drive my mum insane because um, she was a very, a very old-fashioned Yorkshire lady, you know, who wanted me to get a little job. But I always felt that making change was what drove me. Um, and trying to change things for the better was what motivated me. So I think when the opportunity arose um, and I joined Honal, we created a small business that was very specialist in the services it provided. And as a result of that, I entered an industry that I'd never really been in before and understood some of the challenges that it was facing. Um, For example, how phones were answered. Mm. Um, there was certainly no sales technique in, in a very small business. It was, yep, hello. <laughs> um, and just changing very simple things made an awfully big difference to how a small engineering business was run and perceived. And that that inspired me and that just, it, it gave me that feeling every night when I went home that I'd had a great day. So I just wanted that to continue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you get going there, you feel like you're making a difference. And also considering that it's a new industry for you, I imagine you felt like every single day was a new learning experience. And I think that sometimes we're sort of a bit guilty of shying away from that, aren't we? We're almost a bit, we're almost a bit guilty of sort of maybe shying away from challenges, shying away from, oh, what if I get this wrong? What if we suffer a setback? When really, it's kind of like a win or learn mentality you've got to go into leadership with, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, one one of the biggest things was obviously in terms of the technical aspects, I had absolutely not a clue about what we were doing, how we were doing it. I certainly knew I could bring the the, the, the skills that I'd learned in sales and working in shops and being customer facing and administrative skills that I'd learned throughout sort of my further education, trying to be organized because working sort of part time as well as doing a full time college means you have to get very good at time management. But the technical skills, I didn't have a clue. So 
you know, as every question was asked, if I didn't have an answer, I would basically say, just a moment. And then I would go find out, I would make a note, I would add it to my, what I call, idiot sheet. And basically, as a result of that continuing to be prepared to ask questions, I learned pretty much everything that I needed to learn on the technical side. Um, I also annoyed the lads by going and helping out on the machine so I could understand exactly the difficulties they face sometimes. Um, it's not happened for a fair few years, unfortunately, but it was one of the most valuable things. And I loved being, I loved surprising people when I was doing exhibitions, etc. They being, being young and female and, and leading an engineering company, people expected me to simply be a pretty face on the stand. Mm. Um, and then when, when they ask you a technical question <laughs> and you're able to sort of answer every single query, it gives you a very, very big sense of satisfaction. And it's also good because I think back in the mid-90s, late-90s, this industry was exceedingly male-dominated. And it needed a fresh perspective. And I think that's where, you know, the, the, the challenges we've had over the years attracting talent and skills, the, the, the breakthroughs we've had and the diversity we now have is making such great advancements because you now have such a broad range of approaches, attitudes, skill sets, um, even, even just the way you look at planning a shop floor in terms of colour coordination, for example, you know, it, it changes the perceptions or the outdated perceptions that people tend to still have within engineering and manufacturing. Mm. And I think changing those perceptions is key, isn't it, to increasing diversity within the workforce and especially getting more women into jobs like this, because there has been that sort of longstanding idea that, oh, it's like sort of a manual industry. It's um, you want to be sort of going and doing something more academic when actually, you know, industries like this can be incredibly lucrative and can be great places to work in. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think um, the, the recent study from Make UK, I think, engineering and manufacturing on average wages are 12 13 percent higher um and the range of career options within engineering and manufacturing people just don't appreciate or realize um one of the one of the sort of tasks or projects that i ran with one of the local schools was basically asking people what they enjoyed doing so the the students that enjoyed checking other people's work you know Within engineering and manufacturing, that's a contract review position, um, health and safety management, accountant, you know, who likes shopping, and um, a variety of girls and boys put their hands up. And it's like there's, there's positions that are earning 40 to 60 to 70,000 pounds a year doing buying. So you shop for a living. You know, there, mm. there are just such a wide range of career opportunities, marketing, sales, business development. It's not just about machining. It's not just about those technical skills. Exactly right. And the bottom line as well is that the UK manufacturing and engineering industry can contribute a hell of a lot to the uh, the UK economy um, as well. Um, and it's not just about, of course, building things. I mean, it's about sort of productivity and growth. It's going to be key to the government's levelling up agenda. It's going to be key toward the, uh, the drive toward net zero and sustainability because it's these industries that are going to be sort of building and using new green materials retrofitting um, obviously existing buildings building new houses up to new green standards so it's going to be critical but there's a little bit of an issue in the industry at the moment isn't there particularly around sort of smes in the manufacturing arena andrea that 
they don't feel like they're being supported well enough and maybe there isn't enough respect being sort of treated toward how important they are to the UK economy and that drive toward sort of, you know, the sustainable agenda. And um, why is sort of that the case at the moment? I think, unfortunately, over the last 25 years, I've sat on a variety of boards and panels trying to change the way that government look at support, the way that government set policy in terms of support systems um, and apprenticeships and training. And in most cases, those panels and boards are made up of very, very large businesses. It's like a who's who. Mm. You know, we have 14 sites in seven different countries employing 24,000 people. And this is what we and our supply chain need. Well, with respect, these people aren't working in that supplier day in, day out. And the majority of the supply chain or the majority of manufacturing and engineering businesses are SMEs. 99% are SMEs. And yet we have very little representation or very little voice in government. And to a certain extent, you can understand that there is difficulties when there are such time constraints on the MP. For example, Lee Rowley's doing a grand job as Minister for Industry, but he has a constituency to run. He also has an entire industry role, mm. not engineering and manufacturing. So when he has spare time to dedicate to his Minister for Industry role, He's going to try and visit companies that will give him the broadest spectrum, which will be larger businesses. And unfortunately, you know, what we need to see is people and MPs and people who are setting policy to come and visit the two, five, 10, 20, 50 people businesses. Because in reality, the majority of the policy that's in place in terms of support mechanisms and training funding is suitable to larger businesses, not smaller. The delivery vehicles that we now have through the LEP are not working in many, many areas. So they are also not being in touch regularly with the SMEs because they're more interested in large infrastructure projects <clears throat> or 5G. So you try to apply for a grant. First of all, you have to try and find out who you need to go to for that. You then have to battle getting through to the right person within, for example, if it is the let. Then when that happens, the forms come through and everything, let's just say, in my experience, about 75 to 80% of them, in order to get any grant towards new equipment, it's all about job creation. Now, the majority of engineering and manufacturers want to invest in equipment, which reduces the need for so much labor you want to improve technology you want to improve efficiency mm. so as technology and machinery advances we're still being told that okay we can give you a grant towards that but you have to commit to employing two four ten people well that doesn't fit with improving productivity because the more people you add the lower your productivity figures look Whereas mm. having support mechanisms that will help you invest in equipment that reduces the need for so much labor actually improves your efficiency and your productivity. So the, the application process is complex. Some of the due diligence requirements are, are just impossible when you consider that, for example, we've been very fortunate um, because I'm a little bit outspoken and I speak to quite a lot of people, I heard about the sharing and growth scheme. 
Normally that is reserved only for companies with 10 million plus sales. And this is a three-year complete business transformation program, fully funded, matched only by time with the business. And this will cover every single process and product within your business from, from accountancy, to shop floor to lean manufacturing, to business development. That is one application process. It is one set of due diligence. And then you have a team who are managing that improvement process for you. The flip side of that is smaller businesses who haven't quite accessed or are able to access this scheme have to apply to, for example, Innovate UK to do strategy work, IFM to do some lean manufacturing work, or the Chamber to get business development assistance. <clears throat> and each one requires A, accessibility, B, then applying for it, C, that due diligence process, which I appreciate has to be done, but it's also piecemeal that people just feel it's not worth it. Mm. But the other frustrating thing about it is every application process you do, there is somebody administering it and charging to administer it. So probably 30 to 50% of that funding is lost purely on the administration of those schemes when that money should be going to the businesses to improve their productivity and their efficiency. Mm. There's huge issues with the funding model, isn't there? Absolutely. That's one thing that certainly needs to uh, to be addressed. Uh, but as well as that as well, you talk about obviously the advent of new technology and trying to improve productivity within the industry. Obviously, the way that it's structured by, you know, you have to employ X amount of people to get that technology and get the funding for it. That's obviously one thing. But then when that technology is then brought into house, because of the skill shortfall, because of the lack of quality tutors in sort of further education colleges, people coming through might not necessarily be sort of trained in operating that new technology. So I think, um, again, the skills gap comes into play there, doesn't it? Absolutely. But it's not just about the lack of tutors in the colleges. The colleges don't also have the equipment. Mm. It's not just about having people to, 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 to run that equipment. They don't actually have the equipment. And one of the things that um, I'm part of a sort of, we, we, we call ourselves a little merry band of, of renegades, <laughs> just trying to get an SME voice within government. Um, we call ourselves Support UK Manufacturing. We mm. do have a website, which is supportukmanufacturing.co.uk. We're not a membership organisation. We are simply a, a few very passionate business owners, engineering and manufacturing support businesses, business managers, who basically want to try and change things. And one of the things we've suggested is a training and development tax credit. Because at the end of the day, the very best places to train people and upskill people and also bring in unskilled people to train is our businesses. Mm. We have the equipment, we have the qualified engineers, but we can't access funding to actually train people in-house. So, yes, there's an odd £1,000 here or a £1,000 there basically to, you know, hire apprentices or the Kickstart program, etc. But if we had something similar to the R&D tax credit, but we were able to apply that to training, then we can employ unskilled people and basically take them through a three-year apprenticeship, all in-house, all monitored, the few tutors that there are who are passionate about engineering and manufacturing could come and sign off the skill sets that have been taught. 
they could cover every single aspect of the business from administration through goods in, through maintenance, through machining, inspection, quality, health and safety, environmental. There's such a massive opportunity, but we have the skills here to train those people, but we can't access funding from the government to do it. And yet the colleges are soaking up funding, training providers are soaking up funding, and yet some of the technical training courses that we've looked at, we've been told, well, unless we can give them six to eight people, we can't apply because they can't make enough money running it for two. I can't afford to lose six to eight people from a team of 40 in one hit. I have customers to support, to, to support and products to deliver. So, again, this, this, this funding model just doesn't work because there's also no cap on what these accredited training providers can charge. That's exactly it, isn't it? And if obviously the training providers aren't delivering the quality training required, I mean, they're basically playing the system, getting bums on seats to get the funding. And what's coming through the system is then not fit for work. I mean, they're coming through and they don't have those requisite skills, do they? Exactly. But, you know, a company like ours, we're only 40 people. Yes, we're a very specialist service. So one of the things we said is, okay, we appreciate some of our skills are not transferable. So as in with the R&D tax credits, there are certain things you apply for that come in at a lower scale. So why can't we do that? So the skills that are transferable, they can be claimed at a, you know, X percentage. But the skills that are not transferable, but only applicable to this business could come in at a much lower percentage. So there is still an element of support, but it still means we can take unskilled people. I mean, we do it anyway as a business. We found that it's the only choice we have. And to get the fabulous loyal team that we have, and we've got people here, um, probably more than 50% of our workforce have been here 10, 15, 20 years, and yet our average age is still in the mid-40s. Because we say, we, we put an advert on Facebook say, do you have a passion for engineering, but you've not been given the chance? Would you like a, a fresh career? And we take on people who have got the attitude and aptitude, not necessarily the skills. Mm. But we don't get any support for that. We just have to do that ourselves and we just have to take the hit on it. And and that's fine. We do it. But how amazing would it be if businesses who have only got two, five, ten people could do exactly the same thing? Because there's a load of people out there that would really like the chance. But businesses don't have either the funds or the skill sets available within the business due to the lack of funding support to be able to allocate to it. Exactly right. And the campaign that Support UK Manufacturing is launching and that you've sort of thrown your weight behind as a business, uh, that is to try and sort of get that voice into government, isn't it? And make them very aware of this situation to make sure that, you know, we've been saying the same things for a long time. Education's been doing things differently. We've not been given the funding to do it ourselves. Things have to change because with sort of, you know, unemployment at record lows and job vacancies as high as they are, you know, we can't afford not to get this right anymore. Definitely. And particularly with the way and, uh, and the new trend, which is fabulous for engineering and manufacturing, you know, most businesses now are looking at reshoring due to the issues we've had with Brexit, with COVID. Mm. Businesses are looking to reshore. They want production within the UK. And we have such an amazing supply chain right here in the UK. But most of it's been overlooked for way too long. And these opportunities are now there and we need to grab them 
But in most cases, we don't have the people to be able to respond to those requests straight away. So we mm. need things to change. We need to be recognised. And, and, you know, the, 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 moment, the momentum that we gained through the ventilator challenge, unfortunately, a lot of it's been lost because that was the first time, I think, that we were actually recognised as the important, critical industry that we are and how much we actually can respond and react and provide exactly what either the UK government or the UK population need from us. And that's gone again. And that voice that we we needed right then to continue that momentum, it's been lost. And I know we've had a lot of big issues. <laughs> We're all facing a lot of battles at the moment. You know, we have so many. It's almost like the perfect storm within industry at the minute, mm. and not just engineering and manufacturing, but for the whole country. But there's so much more that can be done without actually spending extra money, you know. We as SME manufacturers and engineers don't want more support. We want better support. We want the support that, that is available to be more appropriate and applicable. Doesn't and accessible. Seem, yeah, <laughs> doesn't seem like much to us, does it? Um, given obviously what's there at the uh, the moment. And obviously this support is going to be important because there are still some incredible challenges lingering, lingering on the horizon for the industry. And that's industry that's going to be critical to the government sort of levelling up a net zero agenda moving forward. But obviously we're suffering from a COVID hangover with the impact that that's had on supply chains. I mean, obviously, you know, you've mentioned that we've got some incredible supply chains in the UK, but still issues of sort of recurring lockdowns in China. That's also having an impact. And then, of course, there's the cost of living crisis, which is affecting business. So as you say, that perfect storm, I mean, there are a hell of a lot of challenges for industry moving forward, aren't there? And this is why the support is really important. It is. But like I say, there are so many support schemes available. They're just not the right ones. Mm. And they're not accessible. And they're not applicable. You know, I think in the Startup to Scale-Up report that Make UK did, out of 15 support schemes, I think there was only three that more than 50% of the you know people polled were aware of, and they were R&D tax credits, um, I, the super deduction, and one other which I think was the sort of you know made digital upgrades. Um, but three out of 15, and Rishi Sunak actually said to Stephen Fitzgerald, "Well, what's the point of us looking at all these support systems when there's no take up?" Well, there's no take up because any people SMEs in particular don't know about them then they can't access them and then when they try to access them and they try to apply there's just so many barriers put in front of them that they give up because they've got to get on with running their business that's the thing isn't it it's not just raising awareness of what's there it's making it less prohibitive and more accessible and of course that's where you know the importance of that government voice comes in doesn't it because you know this message has got to get out there hasn't it yeah, it's, it's great we have a Minister for Industry. And like I say, Lee Rowley, his passion shines through. But he is very, very resource restricted. Mm. And this is an extremely critical time for the UK supply chain and engineering manufacturing. Um, and I think, you know, the government, their levelling up agenda is great. However, I'd like to see some levelling up done between how large businesses and small businesses are listened to and treated. That's the thing, because if 
that doesn't change. It's all going to be hot air, isn't it? Because levelling up simply is not going to happen without the help of the SMEs. I mean, um, Support UK Manufacturing, you're a group of businesses, for instance, that contributes, I think it's 250 million to the economy every single year. So that just shows the value of small business. Yeah, and that's just that's just a few of us. Mm. That's just a few people who are basically passionate enough to give their own time and to try and actually change things because I've always been a big believer and that's one of the things, like I said to you, from starting work at 12, I don't believe I can complain about something unless I try and change it. And there's a lot of people out there that are struggling and there's a lot of businesses that are finding that They've just given up actually looking for government support or, or looking for government for any type of help, which, you know, it's a good thing because we do all have to be responsible for ourselves. Business is not easy. If, business, if running a business was easy, everybody would be doing it. Mm. So we do have to stand on our own two feet. But the frustration is, is the support is there. It's just not the right support. Exactly right. Something's got to change on that front, hasn't it? And um, if Andrea, just before we uh, we wrap up on the program, just because I'm conscious that we're starting to uh, to run short of time, over this sort of next twelve months, as you know, industry continues to get to grips with the challenges ahead. What sort of progress are you sort of hoping to see in this next year? And indeed, where do you see your business being this time in the year 2023? What are you hoping to have achieved? Uh, well, our first goal is to get the official sign-off for the Sharing in Growth program, um, which we're very close to achieving. Mm. Um, that will basically start us on uh, initial stages, a program of leadership and management training, which again is something that's very, uh, very much a big skills gap within engineering and manufacturing is that middle to senior management role. Mm. Um, so that's where we're going to start because obviously we need to have all the senior leadership team on the right on the same page in order to then bring the rest of the improvement program throughout the rest of the business. So we're really looking forward to that. We're responding to our customers' needs. We have a number of requests for longer-term contracts and work where people are bringing work back to the UK. So we expect to see growth. We're lucky in the fact that there's been such a good bounce back within engineering and manufacturing for us, we're sort of this year should be back to pre-COVID levels. We now want to see the growth that we were targeting before COVID hit. Um, and the Sharing in Growth Programme and us have agreed that, you know, we want to increase our sales and maintain profitability, but we want to increase our sales by pretty much just under 40%. We want to hit 5 million in three years. So... That's our target. The way we're going to do that is by engaging everybody within the business, being able to respond and react to the customer's requests and needs, making sure that our service is basically so good that customers won't even think about going anywhere else. Um, and on a personal note, and from Support UK Manufacturing, if we don't achieve a minister for manufacturing, then we'll have to take that on the chin, but we won't stop fighting for a voice for SMEs within government. And it's an incredible cause and a really, really important one. Um, and I do wish you all the luck in the world in um, obviously executing that to uh, to full effect. And as well, Andrea, I mean, uh, just to digress slightly before we finish up, I mean, you raised a really important point there about sort of the, the training, the leadership training between sort of middle and senior management. It is apparent, isn't it, that the higher up the pyramid you go, 
the less learning and training you have access to. And I think that's something that perhaps sort of we need to rethink in this country, isn't it? Because as leaders, I mean, you need to be learning more, don't you? You, you, need, you need to have more of that requisite knowledge. So that's another thing that maybe we should be thinking about. It is, but I think leadership has changed dramatically in the last 20, 30 years and in a very good way. The leadership skills required now are so very different to what they were sort of 30 years ago. Mm. You know, we need to be working much more flexibly with people. We need to be inspiring and motivating people in different ways to the way it was. It's not just about the pay rate anymore. It's about your overall working conditions, your mental health, mm. the diversity, um, understanding, you know, the, the, the needs that families have these days. Because in most cases, you have to have a massive degree of flexible working to enable both parents to work. So the management and leadership skills these days are, are much more empathetic than they ever have been before. Mm. And <laughs> there's no training really for that yet because I don't think the training providers have caught up with the changes that are now needed. Yeah, those soft skills, they're just not there at yeah. the moment. So hopefully, again, something that we do start to see coming through over the uh, the next few months and in, indeed years. And like I say, it's going to be a matter of time before people cotton on to the changes that are needed. And like I say, let's just hope that obviously it comes sooner rather than later. Um, Andrea, I um, have to say um, as well, it's been incredibly enlightening uh, having you joining us on the uh, the programme today and uh, do, of course, wish you all the luck with the uh, with the campaign. And um, as you know, we start to kind of see how that is developing and we start to see, you know, how business and industry is uh, progressing as well over the uh, the next few months. Um, I'd actually relish the opportunity to welcome you back onto the programme with us and just catch up on how things are coming along because um, I really enjoyed having you join us today. I'm sure the listeners share that sentiment. And this is a very, very key issue. So, um, it's important when it's in a constant state of flux as it is to sort of keep track as best we can. So it'd be fantastic to have you on again. Thank you. That'd be great. I'd love the opportunity and really appreciate the support that you've shown. Thank you. It's been fantastic, Andrea. Thanks again for joining us. And uh, by all means as well, do take care and stay safe with all still going on in the world too. You too, Scott. Thank you. It's been fantastic welcoming Andrew Wilson, Director at Honol Precision Limited, onto today's programme. And I hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview today. And uh, just as a reminder for all listeners, if you are a business owner or the head of an organisation which you feel has its own story of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council or even something topical um, of the day to discuss with us, then by all means, we do want to hear from you as well. So please do apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply and we will listen. To everybody tuning into the program today and all of our regular listeners, you've been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast with your host, Scott Chaloner. Please do take care and goodbye.